0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Banter Podcast. It's episode 55. I'm your host, Ben Cohen, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Luciano. Uh, Mike, my friend, how are you today? Ben, I'm a little sore in my right shoulder. Yesterday, I got
1: my second Pfizer vaccine, and I am pumped. I am feeling no ill effects so far. Next week, I will be heading back east with my wife, and we will see our families for the first time since 2019, if you can believe that. So, I'm, I'm sore, but I'm also super pumped. So... We should probably start with Joe Biden's first joint address to Congress taking place on his 100th day in office. You know, I really don't have much to say about this because I I am a terrible pundit when it comes to joint addresses like this or the State of the Union, which this was not technically a State of the Union, or even inaugural speeches. They're generally fluffy wish lists that I guess, kind of establish a vision and the rhetoric was nice and all, but eventually this stuff is going to collide with the real world and politicians on both sides of the aisle make promises and call for things to happen that they know won't happen or even things that they don't want to happen secretly. So, you know, I I, I guess I could offer some thoughts like withdrawing from Afghanistan is nice. Like that's good, but we knew he was going to do that anyway. He talked about you know, we talked about infrastructure and healthcare, and all of this stuff is nice. But like at the end of the day, the, the only thing that matters is is action. But I, I know a lot of people out there, they they like this stuff. They they like the pageantry and the optics or whatever. But uh, it's just not my cup of tea. What about you, Ben?
0: You know, look, it was fine. You know, it was it's fine. I mean, it was apparently it was uh, the numbers were way less than Donald Trump. As I'm sure Donald Trump was ecstatic to hit to find out that the viewing numbers were were Significantly lower than than, uh, than than Trump's Trump's address after 100 days, but for me that's a damn good thing, right? That that's a really really positive sign, right? That we don't have a kind of a comedy act as a, as a uh, as a president, you know. Um, they you know it's just serious business at the White House, but I thought Biden was good. You know, he laid out his vision for the country um, what they've been up to. Uh, you know, it wasn't anything insane. I'm happy. I'm just, I'm still on a high of not having to freak out about the government, about the, the literal end of the country and the end of civilization as we, American, you know, American democracy and global civilization as we know it, right? We've lived in this kind of four-year nightmare. Um, and just to have a sane, uh, you know, comforting, Address was was great, you know. Um, so I think it, I think you know. So there were tw- I, 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 this is according to Deadline. There were 20 million, 20 million less viewers who watched Donald Trump's first speech. So I take this as a positive. And again, you know, substantively, yeah, great. Um, I think it, I think it's 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 great. Very forceful. I think like he laid out his sort of you, you know I see I see. His speech, right, as basically um, ramping up for the twenty twenty two the midterms, right? You know, he's they're trying to lay the groundwork. The Democrats are trying to lay the groundwork to win the midterms, and they have to basically capture some of that Trump support, right? So there's, you know, Vox had a piece out on it. It's it's um, about um, Biden not breaking with Trump's nationalism or America first. Um, america first policies you, you know so I think that that's good, right it's, you know the the American rescue plan, Biden talked about this about infrastructure, you know the, these kind of issues that Trump was big on as well, that managed to capture the attention of you know the American public back in two thousand and sixteen, yeah, so back in two thousand and sixteen trump 's america first policies pro worker pro infrastructure, and I think that uh, Biden did a good job of. Basically staking his territory there as well, which I think is is a good sign for the midterms. You know, because they're going to have to keep uh, the kind of blue blue collar Democrats in line. They have to. They have a very very. Um, That's what made Trump successful, right, was his ability to take away some of these kind of blue-collar Democrats. And uh, Joe Biden's pitching basically directly to them, and that's what the Democrats are doing as well. So I thought that Biden did a good job of kind of basically appealing to that demographic. That's what I saw his address to Congress as really being about. So, yeah, I mean, good, good, you know, full marks.
1: It was good to hear a normal president And like you said, it's a good thing that ratings were down. I mean, ratings were down for this joint address for the same reason like a Toyota Camry driving in traffic. You're not going to pay much attention to it. But if the Toyota Camry is on the shoulder of the road upside down in flames, you're going to stop and watch it. You're going to rubberneck. And that's what Trump's speeches were to Congress and basically every other speech he gave. So yeah, in that sense, it's, it's I, I wouldn't take it as an insult that ratings were down this year. There was one thing that irked me in Biden's speech, and that's when he was talking about, he called for Congress to put legislation on his desk that would allow the federal government to negotiate drug prices under Medicare, which was surprising to me because I had read just the day before that the Biden administration was resistant to this measure, at least when it came to including it in the infrastructure bill, which you could say, well, that's not really infrastructure. But remember that there is about $400 for elder care, in the infrastructure bill. And this has been a bone of contention for Republicans who are pointing to this and saying it is an infrastructure. And the Democrats have been arguing it is. And I would just say, no, it's not infrastructure. But hey, if you want to vote against money for in-home care for elderly Americans, go for it. So there's, there's really, you know, based on that, there's no reason you wouldn't be able to include a provision such as this uh, in an infrastructure package. But Biden has been resistant to it. So even as he was saying in the speech, we need to negotiate drug prices, he's rejected very real attempts to include any such provisions in his infrastructure bill. He apparently wants it as a separate measure. So he's saying, yeah, let's leverage the power of the government to get pharma to lower their prices to something on the level that people in other developed nations pay. But when it comes to actually pushing for it behind the scenes in the sausage factory, He's just not going to do that, and and by the way, Biden isn't alone on this among Democrats. You know, a- allowing the one estimate I think I saw it in roll call allowing the government to negotiate drug prices would save something like four hundred and fifty billion dollars over ten years. And Republicans, of course, they they oppose <laughs> they, they oppose uh, giving the federal government this ability, and and also they cited Bob Menendez, Senator of New Jersey, a Democrat, and he's he's got this quote in here. He said, if you want to go after the pharmaceutical industry as a revenue raiser for other things, I'm not interested. If you want to talk about how you actually help the consumer, the end user, get lower prescription drugs... I'm all ears. And I can only imagine that's like a suggestion that we should give people money so they can afford the higher drugs, right? We should increase subsidies that people receive. In other words, the federal government should spend more to give people more money so they can afford the higher drug prices as opposed to just directly using the leverage that the government has to lower prices in the first place by negotiating with big pharma. So just this very roundabout Just this very roundabout, big pharma-friendly way of getting people the drugs they need. I mean, this is just like classic pharma Democrat logic. And this is what $314,000 in political contributions will get you over a five-year span, which is what Menendez has gotten. And so, you know, I've heard this before. This was on the table. The, The drug negotiation was on the table for like five minutes during the Obamacare arguments in Congress. But then they finally pulled it. Uh, and in exchange, the Obama administration got pharma's full support for the Affordable Care Act. So I'm, I'm. That's a, that's a long-winded way of, of me saying that uh, that that irked me a little bit in Biden's speech, and and um, also I'm I'm skeptical of any real change going on when it comes to you know how we negotiate you know, or we don't even negotiate drug prices. So I hope I'm wrong. We'll see.
0: Yeah, that was it. Was a very very disappointing. Um... Aspects of the negotiations, were that they were they were held hostage by the Blue Dog Democrats, Democrats who were basically completely beholden to the pharmaceutical industry, um, and uh, you know did not. Um, you know, Obama basically couldn't do it. He couldn't. He couldn't pass any of that legislation because of. Yeah, they weren't. You know, the Republicans were never really going, never going to get on board. But the Democrats were the ones who essentially, and also, you know, the public option that was a uh, um, that was taken away by Democrats as well. We could have had a public option earlier on as well, had it not been for Blue Dog Democrats. So it's incredibly disappointing to see this happen. But I guess you know, this is the Democrats have a very fragile coalition, right? They had a fragile coalition under Obama and they have a fragile coalition under Joe Biden as well An even more fragile coalition under, under Biden. So I'm assuming Biden is basically, you know, he knows he has to cobble together uh, a coalition of Democrats. You know, he, they can't afford to lose a single vote in the Senate over anything. So, you know, he has to, neg- he has to negotiate. And I, I don't blame Biden for this. I think that ha- if Biden had his way, obviously he would utilize the government, you know, use the government's leverage to lower drug prices. But I do hold these corporate Democrats. But I mean, you know, look, here's the thing as well, right? And just to play devil's advocate, it's, it's sometimes like, look, you have to deal with a lot of these Democrats. Like take Joe Manchin, for example. Uh, I mean, Joe Manchin is uh, not, you know, a lot of people wouldn't call him a Democrat. Exactly, right? I mean, he votes alongside Republicans a lot of the time. Um, we, you know, we'll, we've got more to talk about Joe Manchin later on. But look, it's better, I guess it's better to have blue dog Democrats than to not have them, to have them replaced by Republicans who were just, so like, you know, a lot of these centrist Democrats are corrupt um, and bought off by by, by the industry, uh, by various industries, but they're not insane, like Republicans. So I guess that's the choice we sort of have, right? It's between like corrupt Democrats and insane corrupt Republicans, which is it's not the greatest choice, but I guess you sort of have to take the, we'll go for the corrupt Democrat rather than the insane corrupt Republican.
1: Yeah, speaking of Joe Manchin, we were going to talk about him later in the episode, but I feel like since you've, you've brought him up, I mean, I, I agree with that, That assessment, by and large, because the thing that got me to think about Joe Manchin this week was uh, him announcing that he would not support Congress acting to make a state out of Washington, D.C. Rather, he would prefer to go through the constitutional amendment process. He said, quote, if Congress wants to make D.C. a state, it should propose a constitutional amendment. Let the people of America vote. Okay, so what Joe Manchin is basically saying here is that he does not want to make a state out of Washington, D.C. because a constitutional amendment is extremely hard to get passed. It would require two-thirds of the House, two-thirds of the Senate, and three-fourths of the states to ratify. So D.C. statehood, through the constitutional amendment process, is dead on arrival. Congress totally has the power to do this. They've done this. Many times before, no state has ever been admitted to the union through a constitutional amendment. This is the purview of Congress, but Joe Manchin wants to pass the buck. And so, Ben, to your point, I'm going to say two things that sound contradictory but aren't. The first thing is Joe Manchin is a coward. People note he has all all this power in the 50-50 Senate, which he does in a way – But he doesn't want to be in a position where he's able to dramatically wield power in an actual party line vote on an actual piece of quote-unquote controversial legislation, I think. One of the reasons Manchin loves the filibuster is it allows him to signal support or opposition to a bill without him actually having to vote on it. Like, Like, I really believe Manchin doesn't want to take tough votes. Unless it's a bill he really wants. Like Manchin would much rather posture and hem and haw than actually vote on, say, D.C. statehood, obviously, or maybe the PRO Act, which he says he supports but is unlikely to get a vote in the Senate because Republicans will filibuster it, or the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which Manchin, I believe, has said he is in favor of but, again, unlikely to get a cloture motion. So Manchin likes the filibuster for this reason, I think. It prevents him from taking tough votes in potentially no-win situations where either he's going to piss off his very conservative West Virginia constituents or he's going to piss off his fellow Senate Democrats. So there's been a lot of speculation like does Manchin really like love the filibuster as an institutional tool this much? I think it's much simpler than that. It's like the filibuster prevents him from having to take these tough votes. That's what I think anyway. So that's the first thing I, I can say about Joe Manchin. The second thing, which seems to go against the first thing, but speaks to your point, Ben, is that I want Joe Manchin to run for re-election in 2024 and I want him to win. I don't want to see him primaried because it is – inconceivable, and four years granted a long time, but still, it is inconceivable that a Democrat not named Joe Manchin wins the U.S. Senate seat in West Virginia in 2024. Manchin is a holdover from an earlier era, like 10, 12 years ago, when West Virginia had two Democratic senators. They had Jay Rockefeller and Robert Byrd, and then Byrd died, and then Manchin won his seat. Those days are gone. And West Virginia is a two time Trump plus 40 state. So all the liberals out there saying primary Joe Manchin might want to consider that because there's really no scenario in which a Democrat not named Manchin can win that seat. But, you know, on the other hand, if you want to say primary Kirsten Sinema in Arizona, I'm all for it. The lady is like a straight up nihilist and Arizona is turning bluer, not redder. So have at it. West Virginia, totally different story
0: yeah exactly you know and i think this is why um the democrats need to there has to be an all out war basically to increase their majority in the senate right that's the only real way around cinema and um and mansion right is to get you know if they can if they could get another two if they could get a two uh, two senate seats right which is conceivable which it which is possible then this problem goes away right then you can start but then obviously we need to hold the house as well so um, you know look it 's a big ask, and historically um, uh, the the party the, the, whichever party holds the white House, the midterms are usually pretty bad um but I think you know that this time, it it could be different this time round. It, it it really could be, and um, I think as long as the Democrats keep delivering, delivering on campaign pledges uh, on Biden's campaign pledges, and actually pull their finger out and gets you really, really get stuff done, which Biden looks it looks like he's doing. You know, I see there being a good opportunity here because, yeah, we don't want to be basically completely held hostage by Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, but this is basically what's happening right now: that re- real progressive legislation that that isn't. Um, Necessarily economic. I think they've had a good, they've had a good success with you know with the stimulus and and um, infrastructure and that kind of that kind of th- stuff. But I think when it comes to kind of like voting rights act and um, you know DC statehood, you're going to see less movement from people like Mansion and Cinema because of the fact that. It's, it's the cultural issue, right? And this is the kind of the wedge that divides America, right, is, um, is, is, the, is culture, right? And this is what Republicans are doubling down on, the culture wars. So to, main, to, to, to maintain an, an advantage in West Virginia, Joe Manchin has to be seen as culturally closer to Trump than he is to Joe Biden, uh, or, or at least sympathetic to the, to the kind of Trump view of, of America, uh, you know, so again, it's all about the midterms, um, you know, and the, and the more work they do now, the better. Should we do our segment, your favorite segment? What crazy fucking thing did Republicans say this week? I think it's time. So Mike, you can go first. All right. Curveball here
1: for me this week. It's what crazy fucking thing did more than 500 former Jeopardy contestants say this week? On one hand, it's a bit obscure. On the other hand, numerous mainstream outlets ran with this story. So, Ben, I know you're not a Jeopardy fan, but my wife and I have been avid Jeopardy watchers for just about as long as we've been together. Never and seen an episode, but, but uh, I, you're mi- you know, you're, I get You're it. missing out. <laughs> you're, you're missing out. Anyway, there was this guy on there last week who he won three games. You know, so after he won his first game, when he was introduced as one of the contestants, he held up one finger for one win. He won that game. He came back. After his second win, when he was introduced, he held up two fingers for two wins. And then he won a third game. And then when he came back during the introductions, he held up three fingers. He held up his pinky, his index, and his middle finger, like most normal human beings would. You know, Kind of like making an an OK symbol that also indicates... The number three. Well, apparently this was an intolerable microaggression slash racist dog whistle for more than 500 former contestants of Jeopardy who signed an absolutely deranged letter attacking this guy for, I guess, endorsing white supremacy. So just bear with me here. So I guess like in 2017, some racist... Assholes on 8chan decided to perpetrate a hoax whereby they're going to try to like co opt the OK symbol as a symbol of white supremacy to see if they could like taint the well. When, when, it, when it came to, like, people who made the OK symbol, which is, like, so many people, like, in this mundane symbol that goes back, like, hundreds of years as far as I can tell. Well, apparently they've succeeded, and we've seen, you know, every once in a while, like, you know, we hear of, like, a right winger making an OK symbol. There was a thing at the Naval Academy, I think, where a bunch of naval graduates or naval students, where they were, they were making the OK symbol, and they were accused of being white supremacists when that wasn't the case at all. Anyway... This letter was circulated – it was started or circulated by somebody with, like, 30 Twitter followers, and it blew up into this thing where, like, more than 500 former contestants signed it, and it was picked up by mainstream media outlets. And I'll just give you an excerpt of this letter. Quote, during his on-camera introduction, Kelly Donahue made a gesture with his hand that he has since claimed was an indication that he had won three games. He had on previous episodes indicated with one finger and two fingers that he had won one in two games, and no reasonable person would have interpreted those gestures differently. However, this gesture was not a clear-cut symbol for the number three. It, it, It is to me for what it's worth, anyway. Uh, He held his thumb and forefinger together with his other three fingers extended and palm facing inward, and he tapped his chest. This, whether intentional or not, resembled very closely a gesture that has been co-opted by white power groups, alt-right groups, and an anti-government group that calls itself the Three Percenters. In a public Facebook post that has since been deleted, Kelly states, that's a three, no more, no less. The letter continues, This was either erased or made private on Wednesday morning, along with hundreds of public comments on his few Jeopardy-related posts, regardless of his stated intent. The gesture is a racist dog whistle. It goes on, but you get the idea. So anyway, these people are insane. They have no life. This is just empty virtue signaling. And what I'd like to point out here is a couple of things, but in saying we can't hold up three fingers in a way to indicate the number three or use the okay symbol, which is basically the same thing. What these dunces are saying is that the next time a group of racist douchebags want to co-opt a symbol, then that symbol is off limits for the rest of us, right? So if a bunch of 8chan guys decide that they want to make the thumbs up into some type of secret not-so-secret, white power, racist dog whistle, well, then that means the rest of us in good society are just going to have to stop using it. Is Really, is that it? What about the high five? Say a bunch of neo-Nazis start using the high five. Or as Jerry Seinfeld used to joke, the Hyle five as a gesture in their movement. You're telling me the rest of us now just have to stop because some people on an obscure online message board decided that they're going to try to co-opt it for their movement. Fuck that. I'm not living my life that way. And the other thing here is these people who are on this guy's ass about this, I imagine most of them are extremely online, capital E, capital O. Well, I have news for them. The the vast majority of Americans have no idea what 8chan is. And they sure as hell don't know that in 2017, some asshats on the platform created this hoax. Most Americans have no idea, and even if they did, like I said, this is no way to live your life, you, you, having to keep abreast of the latest trends on racist online message boards so you don't make a gesture that they've taken for their own movement. Get out of here with that. People are ridiculous. This is just – it's just virtue signaling, and I just imagine like – it's, it's mostly a bunch of guilty white liberals. And it's not even like the guy is a public figure. He's some schlub who won some games on Jeopardy. He's an everyday guy. And then here comes the woke mob denouncing him. And he ends up apologizing in a, in a Facebook post, which the letters signed by these contestants acknowledged in an update. And they still haven't called off the dogs. They're still demanding that the Jeopardy producers like, do something about this. Like, th- this is
0: crazy town. No, listen, this is, it's crazy, right? And this is basically why Donald Trump got elected, right? Like, there, there, there is really some responsibility. Liberals have to have, um, they do bear some responsibility for the election of Donald Trump. It's because of insane things like this um, that basically sends a lot of people over the edge, right? It, it sends people completely over the edge and into Donald Trump's arms, where they get... This kind of stuff is kind of... It's just intolerable, right? It's insane. Um, and it makes liberals look ridiculous. It makes us look just stupid, you know? And, and this is what, uh, you know, Donald Trump Jr., Tucker Carlson, all the crew at Fox News, They lit- they get off on this stuff. And they love... That's what they then live for. They live for trolling liberals, right? Make, you know, cry more lib, right? This is how they get them this is how they attain power right within conservative circles right because they get known for owning the libs and basically like you know you sort of half can't blame them right for wanting to 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 um attack you know morons like this i mean obviously look you know i'll take the woke mob over the trump mob any day of the week right but like it's not like i'm down with the woke mob either Right, the woke mob, you know, basically, it's like a yin and yang, you know, that it's, and neither it appears to be able to exist without the other, right? So, hopefully, you know, at some point, we'll be able to get rid of both, but you know, with the existence of the woke mob, the Trump right, just will just continue to thrive, and it's yeah, it's sad, very very sad, which uh, which brings us brings us to my. Um, uh, what crazy fucking thing did the Republicans say this week? And uh, we have a clip for you to play. We do indeed. And uh, it's a familiar voice. And I, I
1: almost want to say friend of the show, even though he's never been on the show, he's, but he's on the show so much. As for forcing children to wear masks outside, that should be illegal. Your response when you see children wearing masks as they play should be no different from your response to seeing someone beat a kid at Walmart. Call the police immediately. Contact Child Protective Services. Keep calling until someone arrives. What you're looking at is abuse. It's child abuse, and you are morally obligated to attempt to prevent it. If it's your own children being abused, then act accordingly. Let's say your kid's school emailed you to announce that every day after lunch, your sixth grader was going to get punched in the face by a teacher. How would you respond to that? That's precisely how you should respond when they tell you that your kids have to wear masks on the soccer field. That is unacceptable, it is dangerous, and we should act like it, because it is. But too few of us have responded like that. We have been shamefully passive in the face of all of this. Ben, this is your baby this
0: week. Take it away. So let's let's first start off with the high-pitched tone, right? The high-pitched squeal of Tucker Carlson's voice um the so it's basically like listening to somebody scratching a chalkboard right this is what listening to tucker carlson is is uh, it's just painful beyond belief um he's it's such a whiny nasally i don't know i my, my my imagine what i imagined the torture session to be like would be having to listen to that pitch of voice um for hours on end uh, the only person who I think outdoes Tucker Carlson in annoying whiny voices is Mark Levine, who I think possibly has the most annoying voice of all time. But yes, Tucker Carlson, first of all, yeah, the 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 pitch, second of all, the content, right? I mean, this is this is clearly just trolling, right? He's trolling the liberals again, right? On on a topic that is you, you know actually a very serious one right it's a very serious one there might be kids with um, immune diseases uh who are you know um particularly susceptible to covid we're seeing more covid affect younger people uh, a lot more um, there are instances of children actually dying from covid this is a real thing right children also carry the virus and they can spread the virus we're still in a pandemic right it's important to note that we are still in a pandemic, I don't know how many times we have to spell this out, but the pandemic is not over. But obviously, Tucker Carlson uh, is riling up his his audience uh, and essentially, you know, ha- popping at, going after the lib, libs again. Uh, he's, the masks and COVID are, a, are a, a, you know, because Donald Trump made this like a wedge issue, right? He turned the pandemic and wearing a mask into a political issue. Tucker Carlson is playing this and milking it for all it's worth. Uh, I don't really have, you know, I did a, a banter chat thread yesterday about Tucker Carlson being, is you know, is the guy uncancellable? Can we just not, is there no way to get rid of this guy, Right. Um, for saying I mean this is what he's saying is is just fucking dangerous it's fucking dangerous it's not funny in any way whatsoever he can't be taking himself seriously he clearly doesn't right I don't think Tucker Carlson believes much of what he says he just gets off on owning libs and you know maintaining his power within the GOP community right and his power and his influence so he clearly can't he doesn't but he doesn't believe what he's saying but what he's saying is dangerous Right, when he spouts all his white nationalist disgusting anti-immigrant rhetoric, which I you know, I have no idea whether he I don't know whether Tucker Carlson is a personally a racist, but he's willing to use racism to boost his popularity, which is worse almost in a way. And I kind of saw this with Trump as well, that Trump was I don't know whether Trump is personally racist. I mean he probably is, but um he certainly is has no problem using racism, which again is is more cynical. So you know what do we do to get rid of this guy when he's saying just fucking ridiculous things like this? How do you get rid of Tucker Carlson, right? I mean, there've been advertising bans on his show. I most major brands won't go anywhere near Tucker Carlson's show. So I think you know one of the solutions that we, we in the chat thread we talked about was um, targeting Fox Fox News as a whole as a whole entity uh, instead of just ta- uh, of um, Attacking Tucker Carlson's show is like okay. We need an ad boycott on Fox News in general. If Fox continues to keep Tucker Carlson on its payroll, then fine. Then there's going to be a massive advertising boycott. Uh, otherwise, I don't really see how how you know this guy k- just keeps surviving. He keeps so he can say anything he wants. He can be as racist as he wants. He can be as disgusting as he wants. He can be say as many dangerous things as he wants. And, uh, you know, he gets rewarded at Fox News with, um, with, you know, with more money and more airtime. It's just it's, it's a terrible situation.
1: When you have as many viewers as Carlson does, when you tell them to call the police, call child services whenever you see a child wearing a mask outdoors because that constitutes child abuse, that is extremely dangerous Because all it takes is one or two nuts to actually do it or maybe even who knows, go over to the kid and grab them. I'm not saying this is going to happen. But again, all it takes is one nut hearing this and taking Carlson seriously when he says that masks are child abuse, putting masks on children, that's child abuse, and that it is akin to being punched in the face. Where the fuck did he get that from? Where did he get that from? And like, by the way, definitely don't do that. <laughs> definitely don't call it police if you see a kid wearing a mask, because if you do, it's much more likely to work out badly for you. The right. dispatcher you, is going to say, "What the hell are you doing, wasting my time?" And you might even, you could, who knows, you could be charged for making a, a fraudulent nine one one call or or whatever it is. Or can you imagine the police showing up on a on the scene? Someone say, "I'm seeing a child being abused. A child's being abused." Without elaborating, and then the cops arrive on the scene and like, you know, who knows? Well, there's a, but who knows what they're expecting? Like, are they, you know, that there's a kid being hit in public, or is being like mistreated in in some other way? It's completely fucked up for him to to tell his viewers to do that because he he has to know that there's there's a not it's not likely,
0: but it's certainly not there's not an insignificant chance. Uh, no, there's there's a likely chance. I mean, if you Justin Rosario wrote a piece about this about his he has a twelve year old autistic son who um was almost targeted by uh trump supporters for wearing a mask and this was at the peak of the pandemic you know so he wrote a piece about that on the banter so you you, you know if anybody wants to read it you can look up look it up you know look trump supporters aren't the brightest people in the world right um you know, we, you know, th- this is, we know this, right? So the likelihood of them taking something serious, you know, Tucker Carlson is regarded as, you know, intellectual in chief in, in, of, the, of the Trump movement, right? So, which is, which kind of shows you how um, bereft of, uh, of talent and uh, of intelligence the movement is. I mean, I'm not saying Tucker Carlson's stupid. He's, he's smart, but he, you know, um, I wouldn't regard him as an intellectual, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very real possibility that something bad could happen, and Tucker Carlson, but Tucker Carlson knows this, he knows this and he doesn't care. That's the issue, you know. He's willing to um, you know, he's, wi- he's willing to endanger children's lives, he's willing to endanger his viewers' lives, he's willing to endanger any, pretty much anybody's life if he thinks it's going to get him, you know more power. Uh, more viewers, more influence within his circles. I I just, yeah, he's a very, very, very unpleasant human being. He really is.
1: You mentioned earlier, who knows whether he believes this stuff. Uh, that's beside the point, just because his audience is so massive, like even if he doesn't you know, he knows better and, and that makes him more dangerous than an actual racist in like your everyday life. Like if you have a racist neighbor or uncle who just, you know, they say the N word and like, just say this horrible shit, like as awful as that is. It doesn't hold a candle to what Tucker Carlson is doing night in and night out just because he has this large platform and is influencing so many people.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, again, this is why I've labeled Tucker Carlson the, um, you know, probably the most dangerous person in America, the most dangerous. And now that Trump has gone, Tucker Carlson is the person to watch. Should we end on some good news? Yes. Please. And we Uh, have some very good news for you. We have some very, very good news for you.
1: uh, Rudy Giuliani did not have a good week, which means it's a good week for us, (laughs) which means good news for us. So last week, the FBI raided the home and office of Rudolph Giuliani, who up until recently was Donald Trump's longtime personal attorney. And who knows how this turns out, but you never want to have your home and office raided by the FBI. I've never had that experience. I just imagine it's probably a little stressful and might indicate that the feds think that I may have done something wrong or several things wrong. So so they raid these two places. And later on, we get a report from the New York Times saying that these raids were conducted as part of an investigation into Giuliani's possible role in getting the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine fired, Marie Yovanovitch, back in 2019. You might remember that her firing was kind of a a central part of Donald Trump's first impeachment trial for abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. And so Rudy had been pushing hard for her ouster And it's really, it's unclear what are, what his motives were, who was pressuring him to get this done, if anybody. And of course, Rudy Giuliani supposedly was in possession of Hunter Biden's laptop, or at least his hard drive that he got supposedly from an Apple repair store in Delaware. But did he really get it from there? Who the hell knows? But Giuliani... In response to this raid on his home and his office, he did what you definitely should not do, and that is he gave interviews. He went on TV. He went on Tucker Carlson and gave a bizarre interview. Was he drunk again? Oh, who knows? He was saying all kinds of things. He was saying that. That he has – he's been in possession of Hunter Biden's hard drive for some time and that he offered it to investigators on the scene. And he alleges that these investigators declined to take Hunter Biden's hard drive, which Giuliani allegedly has. He also made another bizarre claim saying that the search was illegal because you're only supposed to execute a search warrant when there's an indication that evidence might soon be moved or destroyed, which is not true. So he just gave just gave this bizarre interview. And it's just really weird. Like this is we're talking about a former federal prosecutor. We're talking about the former US attorney for the Southern District of New York, like the the most prestigious U.S. attorney's office in the country. And you know, he has just become this completely unhinged figure like i i I don't even know this guy has gone from america's mayor to looney tunes you know if he keeled over maybe like 10 or 12 years ago he might be remembered differently but now instead he's going to be remembered as the four seasons landscaping guy who's possibly going to serve federal prison time
0: oh and also the guy who tried to get his uh his wiener out on um (laughs) the the <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got to say I'm I'm enjoying this immensely. Uh, I just think it's great, and I think it all goes downhill from Giuliani um, uh, here on out. You know, so I I'm gonna get the popcorn out, and I'm just going to uh, I'm gonna watch because I think it's I just think it's hilarious. The guy tied himself to Donald Trump. As I said, as I've long said, any everything Donald Trump touches or gets near, he turns to shit he destroys it. And he's done that to Rudy Giuliani. And I think it's great. I love watching anybody associated with Trump fail miserably and go to jail. I think it's perfect. So yes, on that note, I think we'll call it a day there. Some good news for you this weekend. And hopefully kick off your Monday, if you're listening to this on Monday as well, uh, you know, make your Monday morning a bit brighter as well. Um, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Uh, again, please support the banter. You can get a membership for, you can get two month free trial on a membership. Please subscribe to us. More importantly, subscribe to the podcast. This is the most vital thing you can do. Subscribe to us on Spotify, um, subscribe to us via the newsletter, subscribe to us for iTunes. The choice is yours. Uh, we'd love you for it. And please leave us comments. We'd like to get back to our listeners as well. That would be great. Uh, Mike, anything from you? We're off for the next two weeks. We might try and sneak in a cheeky podcast because Mike, Mike is on holiday, but we'll try. We, we may sneak one in if, if, uh, if, if Mike, you were, you were saying, telling me earlier that you, we might be able to, to get one in if we can. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens with the news cycle.
1: So stay yeah. tuned for that. Okay. All right. Bye, everyone.